politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's KPFK on your radio at 90.7 FM. My name's Michael Benner, and this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Heard every Tuesday at 1 o'clock all across Southern California. I'm live streaming on the Internet. Pleasure to be with you today, as always. Another really good show. We're going to talk about meditation and other spiritual practices, some really simple and practical things that you can do, especially if you're a beginner. You know, if you're one of those people who said, oh, yeah, meditation, I did that once. I, you know, I <laughs> I tried that, didn't do very well at it. Well, you need a teacher. You need a guide. And, and like anything else, we have to practice. I think sometimes that, uh, for me anyway, learning meditation was sort of like uh, teaching a puppy to sit and stay. You know, the puppy doesn't want to sit and stay. It wants to jump up and play and run with you. And and so to your mind, thinking is what it does, you know. And also I think we set some false goals. We've heard here or there that meditation is about ceasing thought, stopping it all together. Well, good luck with that. That's never going to happen. So what is it? Well, we've got an expert guest with us today who's going to fill us in, and we're going to talk about a meditation practice to get you started and uh, begin pretty quickly to enjoy the benefits, and that'll, that'll hook you on the uh, the pleasures of learning to sit quietly. It's uh, quite remarkable, something I've been doing for over 40 years and every day to have that available to you in a world that's getting increasingly chaotic and frenetic. It's just such a wonderful resource. So stay with us for that. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk just a little bit about this radio station. You've noticed, I'm sure, that we're non-commercial. Uh, commercial radio and television, for that matter, spend fully one-third of each hour uh, dunning you with uh, commercial announcements, most of which are negative, telling you what's wrong with you, you've got a problem, you're not really happy, you're not really healthy, you're not really enjoying your life, and here we have the solution. So it's negative, it's irritating and frustrating to have to listen to it, And, of course, along with all of that comes uh, an attempt by sponsors to influence programming uh, in an editorial sense. So we avoid all of that here at KPFK. Our loyalty is only to you, the listener, right? And it frees us as hosts to tell our own particular truth. We don't have to worry as I did when I was in commercial radio for so many years, about uh, management leaning over my shoulder and some sponsor trying to get management to influence the way I did the news or a talk show. None of that. 
on KPFK. We refuse to accept that kind of commercial sponsorship. You are the sponsor, the KPFK listener. By becoming a, a family member, a donation of $25 or more, really, that's all it takes, and you're allowed to vote and listen with a free conscience to all of the programming 24-7. And so a couple of times a year we come to you with an appeal to make that donation, that contribution, or at least a pledge by calling 818-985-5735. Or even more simply, just point your web browser to kpfk.org slash donate kpfk.org slash donate and poke around in there. I like the sustainer circle. Here you can get as little as 10 bucks a month pulled right out of your account. You can use your ATM card, your, your credit or debit card of choice, and it's painless and a nice tax deduction at the end of the year. So imagine 10 bucks a month, who's going to miss that? And yet at the end of the year, that's $120. That's a respectable donation. That's really a, a nice contribution to the KPFK mission. And it's essential. It's our lifeblood. It pays the bills. It keeps us on the air. As you know, the majority of us are volunteers. And I've been involved with KPFK for over 30 years. Never received a nickel. And I'm happy to be a volunteer, contributing time and and uh, money as well. I contribute to KPFK. I want to be able to vote for the local station board. We need changes in continually in updating the way we manage ourselves, especially now that these are such troubled times. You know, uh, Trump may be out of office, but there's still this mood in the land, this binary, this, uh, what do I call it, this bifurcation or polarization, a lot of animus, a lot of, a lot of hostility, and it stresses people out. We see it everywhere. And with the pandemic on top of that, people being out of work, these are tough times. So anything you can contribute really, really helps. kpfk.org slash donate or call right now, 818-985-5735 to make your pledge or donation. Thank you for that. We really appreciate it. I guess today has been with us before on KPFK, but it's been quite a while since I interviewed him. It's a pleasure to have him back on the air again. He works out of the Los Angeles area, the San Fernando Valley, but you'll also find him bouncing all over. He's often out in Catalina doing spiritual awakening events as well. And it's Patrick Carbula, author of Magic of the Soul, and a book simply called Meditation, a simple and practical way for beginners to learn how to meditate. And Patrick, good afternoon, and welcome to KPFK. Good afternoon, Michael. It's so great to be back, and I love KPFK, and I love it even more that you're, you're back now. So it's it's so great to to see you and, and hear you. Well, thanks a lot. I uh, I enjoy being back too. It's fun. I have a different guest every week, and been calling up some old friends and uh, putting them back on the air, reconnecting. It's really revitalized my whole life. 
And I'm getting a lot of good feedback. People seem to really be enjoying the the guests that we have and the benefits that they're getting from finding spirituality. And I mean it almost in a non-religious way. Spirituality and metaphysics and mysticism and such is such an anchor for me. Uh, personally, I see it almost as a science, you know, about energy. We we may call it spirit, which really comes from the word breath, but to me, it's energy. It's just like Einstein putting the equal sign between matter and energy and saying, "All this that appears solid out here, it's really energy. Every <laughs> every every single bit of it is energy." And so you are energy, and I am energy, and and we're often not taught that, but uh, that impacts on consciousness and awareness. And that's the work that you do. I'm wondering, Patrick, how did you get involved in this whole field? You've been dedicated to it for so long. What was your entry point into spirituality? Well, you know, I was always um, just an introspective child. And um, I was raised Catholic. You mentioned spirituality not necessarily being religious. And what I have found is the the more structured a religion is, the less spiritual it tends to be. So when I was uh, in fifth grade in Catholic school, I declared myself an atheist, uh, at least for a while, because <laughs> I just didn't believe a lot of what was being said once I reached the age of reason. And then in high school, I just started thinking, you know, there must be some kind of higher power but it certainly isn't the higher power that I was been told about some, you know, individual man in the clouds. Right. And, um, then I just began to get a sense. And then I was so fortunate that at 18 years old, I did the math and, and I've got six years on you meditating because I started at 18. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm 64. So I, um, my boss, I was working at a place called Paramount sports, stringing tennis rackets. My first job at, at, uh, started at 16, actually, and at 18, maybe 17 even, uh, my boss invited me to, he was a great businessman, uh, Rick Bednarik is, was his name, and and he invited me to come to this program called Mind Probe One, and it was a meditation practice, a, a intuitive or psychic development practice included energy healing, so I learned all this stuff when I was 18 years old, and I really hadn't gotten, I, I was very much into philosophy, but mostly Western philosophy up to that point. And I hadn't studied much Eastern philosophy, but as a result of my meditation practice, I had some mystical experience and experienced what we call oneness or just, you know, merging with the infinite presence, the energy that you were talking about, spirit as we call it. And um, I started to develop my own philosophy around that. And then around 23, I discovered... Um, science of mind and what's now called centers for spiritual living and got involved in that. I found that there's a community of people that also meditated and understood, you know, um, had actual phrasing and explanations for what I had experienced in this oneness. So that's, that's the, the short end of it. Well, it sounds really similar to my experience. Mind probe must've been very much like the old silver mind control. I was going to say that, um, very much. In fact, it has the same color cycle, you know, going from red through, you know, that was the beginning of the meditation practice or form was going through the color spectrum from red to orange, yellow, green, indigo, blue, and then white, right, um, was the entrance into the meditative practice. 
Yeah, Silva had a technique where you would count backward three to one. You would visualize the number three in three different ways, like uh, on the typewriter or a Roman numeral or a different font, and then the number two in three different ways and feel your body softening and sort of melting and yielding and then visualize the number one in three different ways. But they also taught the brainwave levels. We understood what what the beta level was and then alpha and theta and delta. And it was basically a class. They never used the word hypnosis, but I took it in the mid-'70s. It was basically a class in self-hypnosis. And I was surprised how many meditators that I've met since are either unaware of or often even afraid of the idea of hypnosis. And yet it was self-hypnosis and learning the principles of hypnosis that led me to things like science of mind and eventually to, to meditation. Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes, that was a real important book for me. And then books like Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz and reading the Edgar Cayce books, that flipped me out. So there was a wealth of material out there. So when did you start doing the spiritual unity movement? How old, uh, how long have you been doing that? Well, I started doing spiritual unity movement. The main uh, activity is full moon meditations, group meditations at the time of the full moon. And so I started doing full moon meditations, gosh, back, I must have been, yeah, around 24, 25, when I found Science, uh, Science of Mind, also found the Ageless Wisdom teachings, Alice Bailey and Theosophy. And, and so, um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, back then, a lot of full moon groups, uh, through the Alice Bailey teachings. And so, um, I started out with, uh, started my own full moon group back then, long before spiritual, I got involved with spiritual unity movement. Got involved with the, uh, Los Angeles intergroup committee, which was a group that connected many different full moon groups. And so we started doing, uh, full moon meditations for the first three festivals, we call them, of spring. First three full moons of spring, um, at the Onion in the San Fernando Valley back in the 80s. And uh, so I was very involved in that. And then um, around 2000, a um, friend of mine, Jane Watkins, rest her soul, um, asked me to get involved with Spiritual Unity Movement and uh, and bring the full moon celebrations back to the Onion, which we started doing and have been doing now since, um, since uh, 2000, early 2000. And now we're doing on- online during COVID, but uh, hopefully going back to in person soon. You know what I liked about it? Uh, your events, I guess, are all virtual. Now you're online, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in a few minutes, I give you a chance to give uh, email addresses or websites or whatever so people can find out more about what you do. I want to talk about your Catalina Island events, too. I always love Catalina. And uh, I guess you guys go around the back side, right? Right, right. We go to the undeveloped side. Parsons Landing is the beach that we get to have to ourselves um, for four days. This uh, coming one is on September 26th through the 29th, Sunday through Wednesday. And, you know, as I was describing to you before we uh, started the interview, 
um, you know, it's you were asking, so what do you teach? And we don't teach anything. <laughs> In fact, it's the opposite. I like to call it the anti-workshop workshop because it's it's not about learning new ideas because we're bombarded with information and teaching and practices. You know, we do practices, we do meditation, but it's mostly experiential. And so rather than, you know, me telling you what, you know, ideas or concepts, it's about people be getting in touch with out of our heads, into our bodies, into our hearts, connecting with Mother Earth and Father Sky and and just everyone's encouraged to just be who you are in the moment. And, you know, this is how it occurred to me. You know, in Western culture, how we usually learn is, you know, um, we want to learn something so that we get a book or we Google it or, and so we get the, we get the information mentally and then we start to understand it and it sinks, sinks down to the emotional net nature. And then we get excited about it. We put it into practice and it comes down to physical. But when you're in nature and we do all of our retreats in nature, whether it's Catalina or I've done them in Canada and different places, when you're in nature and you see a hawk fly and you get an understanding from that, then it's an instant download, mental, emotional, and physical. You don't have to go through those three stages, right? It's just, it's a holistic download of information, if that makes sense. Yeah, indeed it does. Uh, and that's, as opposed to knowledge, that's what we call wisdom, right? Yeah, wisdom transcends knowledge in many ways. Right. I often think wisdom begins with an awareness of how much we do not know. Right. Opening to, uh, or another way of talking about that is uh, the way in which understanding can transcend knowledge. Like, I know this and that, but do I really understand it? Mm -hmm. That might be another way of looking at it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Is, is it really integrated in a meaningful way? I think it's the philosopher Blaise Pascal who said, uh, and I can only paraphrase, but it's something like, uh, the source of all man's problems begins with his inability to sit still, quietly, alone, in a room. <laughs> wow. Something like that. And I've noticed over the years that uh, that can be a challenge for people. They get very uncomfortable when they just sit quietly. So it seems like one of the barriers to meditation is just learning to turn within and begin to feel comfortable in your own skin. Mm, good point. You know, you mentioned that um, meditation isn't necessarily about ceasing thought, and I love that. How I define it in the book, Meditation, is rather than defining meditation as silent mind or even quiet mind, I like to define it as cycling in and out of silent mind or quiet mind because everything in nature, everything in life goes in cycles, right? And so, because if I'm defining, and this is why I think so many people give up meditation, it's because it, they think, oh, I've got this monkey mind going on, so I just can't do it, right? And then you judge yourself that you're not doing it right, and then you give up. But if you define it as cycling in and out of silent or quiet mind, then if your mind is quiet for one second, you're doing it right. And then just the more we practice, like exercising any muscle, the better we get it, at it and the longer that the silent time becomes and the less active the mind becomes. Yeah, I've heard people talk about opening up the gap between our thoughts. <clears throat> yes. 
which lowers the bar. I mean, <laughs> oh, I could do that. I think I can do that. But ironically, it's not an effort. It's the absence of effort, right? Mm -hmm. well, I'll tell you the tip that I give in the book and when I do meditation workshops or classes uh, that, that tends to help people the most. You know, in mindfulness meditation, we just observe, right? Just watch the thoughts. And that can be helpful because now we're not identified with the thoughts. But what I can find is even more powerful. And when I teach this to people, um, I always get the feedback. That's the thing that helped the most is to invite the thoughts in to the experience, into the meditation, right? So, and what, what I assume is any thought or sensation or feeling that comes into my awareness while I'm meditating is coming in because it wants to meditate too. It wants to become whole. It wants to experience the peace and the bliss that's there. And so that's what's called non-resistance, right? Because if I, if a thought comes in and I label it as a distraction, guess what? I'm resisting it. And, and I'll tell you, Michael, the, the phrase that I, I must say now 20 times a week, whether it's to a, to clients or in classes or in ceremonies is anything that we resist not only persists, but magnifies. Whatever we embrace becomes our ally, our teacher, and our healer. You know, resistance is the issue. Mm -hmm. We deal with that a lot in emotional intelligence, where if you confront some heartache or some sadness or depression, um, some sort of anxiety-based feeling, and the more you push it away, the more you gird your loins and resist allowing it to have its way with you, the worse it gets. And then that becomes a vicious cycle. We get trapped in that, and we call it stuck, but we're really holding on. Uh, let's talk more about letting go of that. Yeah. And, and refusing to resist and... <laughs> And, and see what happens then. In just a minute, we got to take a short break. My guest is Patrick Harbula. We're talking about his new book on meditation, uh, a practical and, and simple way for beginners to get started meditating and uh, answers to those questions about, well, how do I do it? And uh, why is it so frustrating? You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. And we'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Brad Friedman. And Desi Doyan. Of the Bradcast, heard right here on our flagship station, KPFK. When people make a pledge to KPFK, a lot of them feel that they're doing it to pay for all of the listening they've done in the past. Others do so to pay for their future listening. And some do it as a pure expression of altruism. A genuine random act of kindness to ensure that others are able to listen as well. Folks who aren't able to give right now. Well, your support provides this service to everyone. Do a good deed today and experience Community Radio Karma. Call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Or you can just go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online. Namaste. And thank you. This is Marcia Louise, and you're listening to White Sun Radio on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles and online at kpfk.org. You're listening to KPFK in Los Angeles and 90.7 FM. 
If you're in Santa Barbara, you can always hear KPFK at 98.7 FM. In North San Diego, 93.7. And in the high desert, Ridgecrest and China Lake, 99.5. We stream on the Internet, of course, at kpfk.org. And this program is podcast as The Ageless Wisdom or The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And we're on all podcast platforms, so... Whatever is your favorite app or aggregator, search for us there and subscribe. We also stream on the podcast website, theagelesswisdom.com. My guest is Patrick Carbula, and we're talking about uh, meditation and how to meditate. And I mentioned earlier, Patrick, a lot of people say, oh, I did that. I tried that. I just, uh, I just can't get my mind to slow down. And I've heard, uh, I don't remember who gets credit for it. It's probably one of those uh, aphorisms that is said often by so many people that nobody really gets attribution for it. But it's like you don't slow down your thoughts or shift your awareness in order to meditate. You meditate to change the way you think. And I think a good place for people to begin to study the way the mind works is to consider that there's a difference between applying our thoughts to a particular task, like reading or making a decision or writing a to-do list or solving a problem, as opposed to what happens when we're not task-oriented. And simply, uh, you know, it's Miller time. You kick off your shoes, put up your feet, stare out your window, the brain still chatters, but it's got its own agenda. That's the monkey mind or the roof brain chatter you referred to. And we call that thinking and identify with it. But my question to you is, is that really thinking? Is that really us? Well, you know, there's the analytical mind and there's the intuitive mind. You know, you mentioned um, sitting in a in a room can be the hardest thing to do. In the magic of the soul, I say that why, as human beings, it's the hardest thing to do, nothing. We do sweat lodges, uh, ceremonial sweat lodges here in my backyard once a month, um, sometimes twice. And when we call in the West, the place, the West is the place of the setting sun, the place of endings and new beginnings, the place of darkness, the place of the void, right? And when the spirit of the West comes in, it always likes to remind us that as human beings, we seem to want to know everything. We seem to want to label everything. And there's, there is a usefulness to that. And yet, when we name something and label it, we're holding it in place. And boundaries are helpful, but dissolving boundaries are even more helpful. And so what the spirit of the West reminds us is that the place of not knowing is the place of greatest power because that's where poss- where possibilities are infinite is in the not knowing. And so when we call in the West and everyone gets that into that place of not knowing, now we become an empty vessel that can just be filled with creativity and spirit and, and all these qualities. As long as we're, we're stuck in our analytical mind, we're, we're, we're blocking all that beauty that can flow right through us. The channel widens when we get into the, the place of not knowing. And the best way to do that, as you know, is through meditation. So how do we meditate, Patrick? And I think where I'd like you to begin to explain is 
what I would call an induction. Again, given my background, I do a preparation physically of letting go of physical tension in my body. But I know a lot of people just sit and start meditating and allow that to happen by itself. What are your feelings about that? Well, there's so many techniques um, uh, and so many different ways. And we were just talking about this in my class the other night um, that, you know, everyone is different. And so I encourage people, you know, some systems will say, take a meditation practice and do that for years. You know, I, until you find that what's right for you, try many different practices and find what does work best for you. You know, I have in the book and if you get the audio version of the book on Amazon, by the way, um, it guides you through the various techniques. When I do workshops, um, I call it a meditation sampler. Well, I'll, I'll guide people through, here's a Zen technique, right? And it'll bring, bring people into that. And then we'll just go into silence so people can practice that. Then we'll do a breathing technique. Then we'll do inner mantra, which is just sounding an inner, inner mantra over and over. Um, and, and what I, and at the end of each, each one of these meditations, I do Sanskrit chanting, which I find for most people, I'm going to say 95% of people, if nothing else quiets the monkey mind, uh, chanting does, especially Sanskrit chanting, because it's a language that's designed for spiritual understanding. And so it's a very high vibration. And so I have a very simple Sanskrit chant. I'll, I'll do it for, for you now. And you can also find, just go to YouTube and, and uh, Google you know, Vedic, uh, Vedic chanting, and you'll find thousands of them. But this is the, the one that I use because it's so simple to pick up. And the words are Ram J, J Ram, J J Ram Om. Ram means God, J means, um, love, devotion, heart. So we're opening our, our hearts to the heart of God. And it just goes like this. It's repeated over and over. I'll just do it a couple times. Ram J. J Ram J J Ram If you're listening, do it once with me. Ram J J Ram J J Ram Simple as that. You know, it almost sounds like a Gregorian chant. I mean, it makes me consider how eclectic these practices are, that that chanting has been discovered independently by disparate cultures all over the world. And right. maybe it's less important what we chant than that we give the mind something to focus on mm. that is harmonious and beautiful and truthful and, and divine. Yeah, and, and breathe, you know, breathing techniques, just watching the breath is one of the most common, one of the most common practices. Just watch the breath, giving the mind something to do, as, as you say. Um, and you don't have to be still to meditate either. There's so many, there's walking meditation, there's movement meditations. I learned, uh, several years back how to, how to whirl, like, you know, you've heard of whirling dervishes. It's a Sufi practice. Um, that's an amazing practice. Friend of mine, Burl Bowlerjack, uh, leads drumming circles and, that can be a, a, a phenomenal meditative practice, just keeping a drum beat. You know, years ago we did a, uh, I think it was probably a decade ago, 2010, my business partner Steve Snyder and I did a, a mindfulness retreat 
on Maui. We were both living in Maui at the time. And one afternoon, the wind kicked up, as it tends to do in the North Shore, and we were in a clearing right on the edge of a forested place, and boy, the wind was blowing the leaves and rattling the palms, and at first I thought, oh, definitely, what a distraction, and then <laughs> pretty quickly I realized, wait a minute, this is an opportunity to meditate on the sound of the wind and the sound of the leaves. And so we turned it into a 15-minute meditation, and it was glorious just to sit there with absolutely no agenda in a group listening to the wind blow through the forest. And it was almost like every tree and every leaf was another instrument in this symphony of sound. Right. And soon it just be, you, you began to feel the wind blowing through you, and there was like no separation between you and the forest or the wind or the sound of the ocean crashing on the shore nearby. It all became this one beautiful, unified, <laughs> symphonic experience. It was thrilling. And that's exactly what we do in Zen meditation is rather than isolating consciousness and shutting everything out, you bring everything in. And, and you know, meditation is such a met wonderful metaphor for life. Right and coming back to, to non-resistance, a uh, if I'm resisting a sound that comes up in meditation, by the way, then um, it's going to take me out of the meditation. So even I'll, I'll give you a story that I talk about in the book. I was leading a meditation uh, workshop in Calgary at a minister friend of mine's home, and we came out of a long like hour meditation, and somebody said, "You know that clock ticking was just was just disturbing me. I couldn't." I couldn't stay in the meditation. Someone else said, oh, no, it was like a metronome that was just bringing me into a deeper state of consciousness. I was sharing with a, a class that I was teaching on meditation about that idea of just inviting sounds in, not only thoughts, but sounds. Um, and, the, and the next day, the next morning I was meditating, we were doing some remodeling on our house, and they were drilling some pipes in the bathroom next to the room that I was in. Loudest noise I've ever heard in my in my house. And so I decided that the, that the sound, this hugely loud sound, was actually the sound of God calling me deeper into meditation. It was one of the deep, deepest meditations I've ever had. I think that's one of the benefits of a meditator understanding the nature of suggestion and affirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a client asking me once, well, what about the barking dog? I've got in my neighborhood this dog that uh, barks incessantly and, and <laughs> almost seems to know when I'm meditating and starts barking. I said, simply say to yourself, every time the dog barks, I'll go deeper and become more relaxed. Exactly. And it became an induction technique and it really, really, really worked. And I said... And how long did the dog bark? She said, I don't know. It just got quieter and quieter, and pretty soon it just didn't exist. But when she came up out of meditation, the dog was still barking. It just was no longer part of her universe. Right. What we resist magnifies. What we embrace becomes our ally, our teacher, our healer. Uh, and, and since you've repeated that, let's talk about how a positive thinker deals with negativity. I think there's a misunderstanding about this. I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, 
seems to me if we never uh, we never considered a negative thought, we would be foolish. It would just be this uh, Pollyanna pie in the sky. Everything's going to be okay. I think that might be a good place to end up. But in the beginning, shouldn't we look at negative thoughts but just resist the temptation to dwell upon them? What's your feeling about the inevitable negativity that comes up? I would say embrace everything. Resist nothing, embrace everything. And so if negativity comes up, to embrace it. You know, when we embrace it, you know, because when we resist, how I say it in the magic of the soul is this. If we, when we resist anything, then we create a block in energy, right? So if it's a physical thing, if it's a physical plane, pain, I'm creating a block right at the chakra at the ener- within the energy system where the pain is. As soon as I embrace, then the energy flows and the energy is simply love because that's the only real energy that there is. And so, you know, shadow work is a big part of, you know, we can only go so far into the light without addressing the shadow. I would just say, you know, embrace it. Give up resistance and embrace. Yeah, I think uh, if we consider that the the brain knows what it's doing, if it's causing us discomfort, it's trying to get our attention. Mm -hmm. And if we push that discomfort away, then it's going to have to turn the volume up to get our attention. So it just that's your magnification there. But exactly. if we embrace what we're afraid of, if we embrace what hurts, then the hurt diminishes and the confusion reveals what we needed to understand and what the brain was trying to alert us to. And it's, exactly. And, and again, when we embrace and that love flows, then it's bringing love into that negativity, which is the only way it can heal. You know, another way of addressing this is, and if we had another couple hours, I would, I would tell you about a story about a day of enlightenment that I had. Um, but what I, what I, when I get into it, and enlightenment to me is a relative term, but when I get to a relatively enlightened state, what I discover what I have discovered is that enlightenment is not being devoid of human emotion, of pain, of fear, of even anger. It's seeing the beauty in all of those things. I I heard a definition of enlightenment once, and that is the enlightened person sees enlightenment everywhere they look. There is nothing that's not enlightened, right? So seeing enlightenment in my own anger, or as I, as I say in the magic of the soul, looking for the magic in every experience. So I, one way of creating positivity is if I'm having something in my life that I, I don't like is ask, what's the magic in this situation? What's the greater love, freedom, joy that wants to emerge from this? That's how I give up resistance to it. But if I can't, if I'm, if I'm, I'm still, you know, in all this emotional turmoil, what's the magic in my own pain? What's the magic in my own fear? What's the magic in my own anger? When I dive deep into my own pain, what I find at the heart of it is my deepest love. When I dive deep into my deepest fear, what I find is my deepest sensitivity. When I di- dive deep into my anger, what I find is, is a value that's important to me. There wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be angry if there wasn't some value that is not being honored or appreciated or embraced. I think martial arts is a really good metaphor for all of this because we talked about this a few weeks ago when I did a, a show on uh, Feng Shui and Taoism. 
Um, the idea of going with the flow and resisting nothing is central to Chinese um, practices, Taoism and, and Kung Fu and such. But in the West, you know, people oppose each other. They put up their dukes, they square off, or men anyway, and uh, try to overcome or defeat, to conquer, to move forward against, to aggress. But the one thread running through all of the Eastern martial arts is to allow the aggressor to move toward you. You may even grab his jacket, his gi, and draw him even more quickly in that direction, not resisting anything, but then using a little flow, a little movement, a little twist of the hips, and some leverage, and bang, this big guy is on his face, and you've defeated him with a minimal amount of effort, not by opposing, but by going with the energy. And, and that's what nature does. You know, the, the allegory of the, the water that comes to the boulder in the middle of the stream, it doesn't fight with the boulder. It just separates, flows around the rock, and rejoins on the other side. Right. Yeah, and the other thing about resistance I want to say is um, – don't be resistant even to your own resistance, <laughs> right? Um, to embr embrace everything. And so what that means is, you know, as human beings, we want to grow, right? And and it's interesting because when we're on a spiritual, I've had people say to me, because I asked the question in some of my workshops, what would it be like if your life was completely devoid of critical self-judgment? Um, because and I've had people say to me, you know, it's actually less judgmental of myself before I embarked on a spiritual path or a path of growth. Because now I've got an ideal that I tend that I'm moving toward that I tend to compare myself to. And I, what I really want to emphasize, and I I say this nowadays in every interview, in every class, you know, with with all of my coaching clients, the most important thing in life is self love, and so the and when people, and when I'm inviting people to love themselves more, this is the affirmation I offer, is I love myself no matter what. Because the true test of self-love is not loving myself when I just did something really cool. I just, just did a fantastic interview with Michael Benner. You know, the true test of self-love is when I completely fall flat on my face doing an interview, or I say something that hurts the feelings of someone I care about, or I make a mistake that costs me $20,000. Um, you know, it's easy to love myself when I just made $20,000. And so if that's true, then the only time to exponentially raise, raise self-love is to love myself no matter what, when I just screwed up, right? And so ev all, every uncomfortable situation can be reframed as simply an opportunity to love myself more. We don't often hear the phrase or the word self-compassion. We think of compassion as uh, empathizing with others, but uh, has to begin with self-compassion, just as loving others has to be recognized as a function of self-love. Mm -hmm. uh, Patrick, uh, how can, we're all out of time. I can't believe it. How, how can folks find out more about you? How can they hook up? Sure. Well, my email is magicofthesoul.com and, oh, sorry, Patrick at magicofthesoul.com. 
Um, and my website is livingpurposeinstitute.com. And um, what I like to offer, and I haven't done this in a long, long time because I'm usually pretty, I have a full schedule of clients, but anyone that wants to contact me, for your audience only, Michael, I'll offer a complimentary coaching session. And it may take a little while to get to it because I'm I, my schedule is pretty full, but we'll book it up for, you know, a month from now or whenever. And it's something I like to do for um, people like you, you know, that I really care about and, and your audience. And if I am, if I'm, too full, I'll, I'll hand it over to one of my certified coaches. Um, but I'd love to talk to, to people in your audience just uh, one-on-one. So send me an email or call me at uh, – just go to my website and you'll find all my contact information, livingpurposeinstitute.com or patrick at magicofthesoul.com. Patrick, uh, thanks so much for being with us again. I always enjoy our chats and uh, – I'm thrilled uh, that you've written this new book. Um, some might say, gosh, there's so many books on meditation. My feeling is there are never enough books <laughs> on meditation until everybody is meditating. And I think you've done a really good job of demystifying that. And, you know, meditation, there's no wrong way to do it. I like the saying, if if you have time to breathe, you have time to meditate. Mm. And uh, we, we don't have to make some big uh, religious mystery out of meditation. It's just sitting with yourself, being with yourself, and pretty quickly finding you're connected to everything that is. That separation's an illusion, and that loneliness, that alienation, the feeling that we don't fit in, is also just illusionary mm -hmm. and needs to be dealt with. Patrick Carbula, my guest on KPFK. We'll do it again, Patrick, okay? Okay, my brother. Lots of love to you and to your listening audience. Thank you. We'll be right back with a little more about KPFK and how you can help this radio station meet its mission right after this message. This is Jackson Brown. I've been listening to KPFK since I was a teenager. Then and now, KPFK has been a lifeline to vital information without which we would be at the mercy of corporate media and commercial interests that control it. There are so many programs that I've listened to regularly and so many instances where I've come upon the unexpected, the unknown, and the sublime. Join me and become a member today at kpfk.org. Now more than ever before, it's essential to keep supporting KPFK and the free exchange of ideas and cultural viewpoints that foster our democracy. And the number, which is the only number I know actually by heart, 818-985-5735. KPFK. I came for inspiration. I came it's the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on the radio. You're listening to KPFK at 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. And I'm your host, Michael Benner. We've just got a few minutes left in the radio program. And because we're in the Spring Fund Drive, I want to talk to you a little bit about the opportunity that you have to support this great radio station and its mission. I'm sure you understand that this is a non-commercial radio station. And that means in order for us to be editorially devoted to only you, rather than a bunch of corporations or big sponsors, 
We need your financial support. And so a few times each year we come to you and request a donation, a contribution, a pledge. And because KPFK and the Pacifica Group is a nonprofit, 501c3, your donations are tax deductible. Whether you make one donation a year and dig deep, $150 or more, whether you donate as little as $25 and become a member, which allows you to vote for local station board members and other elections and referenda that we may be having. And so as a member of the family, a member of the community, you want to be in on that and help sustain this radio station and support it into the future. I'm a big fan of the Sustainer Circle, as you may know, and this is where as little as $10 a month is deducted from your bank account or credit card account using an ATM card, a debit or credit card of your choosing, and done invisibly, and yet at the end of the year, that all adds up. a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, whatever your conscience dictates, depending on your earnings and how much you can provide to this mission. But I want to tell you a couple of quick little stories to demonstrate if we lose KPFK, this radio station, exactly what you'll be left with. Because other nonprofit radio stations are taking money from big corporations. And that means editorial control and, at the very least, editorial influence. So let me share my experience with that. In the early 70s, during the Vietnam War, I was fired by ABC Radio, working in Detroit, for my refusal to use the word enemy to refer to the North Vietnamese. We used the proper terms in our newscast. People's Revolutionary Government, the National Liberation Front, NLF, for example. But the wire copy in the mainstream news media continually referred to the North Vietnamese as the enemy. As if this tiny little country with no air force and no navy and no missiles was some sort of threat from the other side of the world to the United States. And they were not my enemy. And yet my job was threatened. I was fired. The Union, fortunately, AFTRA, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, a big national union, filed a lawsuit, which I won. But I was already working on the other side of town, and I enjoyed it a whole lot better. And so I didn't go back to ABC, even though we did win the lawsuit. But imagine being fired for a refusal to be biased in my news reporting. And then, about 13 or 14 years later, it happened again. Once again at ABC, only this time right here in Los Angeles. When I was called into the vice president's office, the general manager of the radio station, and he asked me, who wasn't real politically savvy, he said, what's a somacista? You're talking in your news about the Iran-Contra affair. You may remember this is when the CIA, during the Reagan administration, was using their own airlines, Air America, 
to smuggle cocaine into the United States and then funneling that drug money to fund an illegal and immoral war in Nicaragua and support an anti-government group that was known in the media as the Contras, which simply means those who oppose. They were, in fact, Somacistas. Twelve of their 13 commanders were holdovers from the former dictator, Anastasio Somoza, that the United States was funding, attempting to use those loyal to a dictator to overthrow a democracy and funding it with illegal drug money from the CIA's cocaine operation. I mean, it was just madness. And I explained this to the vice president and general manager at ABC here in Los Angeles. And he said, well, I don't want you to do that anymore. I got one letter from somebody that's upset about it. And I said, well, it's true. It's accurate. It's much more accurate and detailed than simply calling them contras, which doesn't mean anything. I said, don't you want me to tell the truth, the highest quality of truth that I can? And he said, no. I want you to sound like everybody else. Is that what you want from KPFK? Do you want KPFK to sound like everybody else? Is that where you want to get your news and programming from a radio station that is managed by people who are afraid to tell the truth, to speak truth to power, and tell the whole truth, unvarnished, and nothing but the truth? That's my experience in commercial radio. And since coming to KPFK over 30 years ago and working for a half a dozen general managers and maybe eight or ten program directors, I've never, ever had one of them attempt to influence what I say on my radio talk show or in the news commentaries that I've done in the past. I have that freedom. Free speech is fundamental to a democracy, and KPFK in Pacifica is an institution that is run democratically. That's why becoming a member by making a minimal donation so that you can participate and vote is so important. Now, I want you to call right now, 818-985-5735, and make that pledge either $100, $150, and ask about the premiums or thank you gifts if you wish. More of your money goes to support the radio station. If you skip all of that, we appreciate it. 818-985-5735. Or even more easily, just point your browser to kpfk.org, kpfk.org, slash donate. And make your pleasure your contribution there. Again, I suggest the Stainer's Circle where a smaller amount is pulled out every month. And you won't even miss it. $10, $25 a month. It's so easy and so painless. And you'll be supporting a radio station that cares only about you. That provides you 24-7 with the progressive yet diverse programming that you cannot get anywhere else on the dial. This show, The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, has only been on the air for about four months. I was here for 14 years, 
took about 12 years off. I've come back in the last four months. And so it's going to take a while to rebuild the audience. But right now, we're not pulling our weight. We're not doing nearly as well as we should on this program. So all I can do is appeal to you to make your pledge or donation, make your tax-deductible contribution during this hour, right? Because that's a vote for programming about spirituality and health, and most importantly, the development of consciousness, which is fundamental to everything, whether it's socioeconomic, political, educational, consciousness is awareness. It is absolutely fundamental. And that's why these programs, I think, are so important to wake people up to be more aware of issues and policies that really are self-evident if you're fully conscious, not really partisan issues at all. But do you understand? Do you realize? Are you aware? Support the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. Support KPFK and the Pacific Commission by calling 818-985-5735 or as I say, point your browser, most simply, to kpfk.org slash donate. And check out that sustainer circle. I think that's the most painless way to do it. And then, as future fund drives come along and you hear people requesting pledges, you won't find those announcements nearly as irritating as you might otherwise, because it'll be a reminder that you're already in the mix. A really warm and wonderful reminder that you're already doing what we ask you to do, donating small amounts to support this radio station. Think of it, $10 a month, that's two and a half bucks a week, right? I mean, think of it, that money really adds up. $10 a month, that's $120 a year. That's a decent contribution, really a respectable amount of money. But a donation of $120 a year or $10 a month is 33 pennies a day. 33 cents a day is a contribution of $120 a year. Now, what if you donate a dollar a day, 30 bucks a month? That triples your contribution, you see. So that's why I really like the sustainer circle rather than once or twice a year having to dig deep and and wondering how much you can afford to donate, just set up Sustainer Circle, and you'll enjoy the fulfillment of knowing you're supporting what supports you. You're making a difference in the community. You have a nice tax deduction at the end of the year, and there's nothing to remember. It's absolutely painless. Easy. Okay? Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks to my guest today, Patrick Harbula. And thanks to those of you who have already made your contribution to KPFK and continue to support this radio station by listening and telling your friends. Remember, besides broadcasting every day, we also live stream on the internet at kpfk.org. Most of these programs, except for the music shows, are podcast. This is podcast as the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School and it streams on demand at theagelesswisdom.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. So long from KPFK, Los Angeles.